0: Welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Random Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Atento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors, and it's brought to you by Atento Capital, a Tulsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Atento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite as Atento Capital seeks to imbibe these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. In today's episode, Aaron speaks with Dominic Ardis, founder and CEO at Act House.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Be Atento podcast. We are very excited to have this next guest. He, uh, we've been waiting for this interview for a long time. I must say that my, my, my partner my, in crime here... Uh, Sean McCroskey is not with me today, so I'm doing this one solo, but we've been really waiting for this guy. Uh, he is the founder of Act House, uh, and we'll find out more about that in a minute. He is prolific in everything that he does. He's a FAMU grad, a Rattler, and so we're really proud of him. He just moved here to Tulsa, and he's bringing uh, energy with him and a brand new strategy and look on life, and so we're going to just dive right in here. I want to welcome none other than Dominic.
2: Artist. Aaron, man, I don't even know how to kind of speak after those words, dude. Like uh, all the hype. You got to come in selling me low. No, so man. So I can underperform. No, you, know, man. Over-perform. You, you, <laughs>
1: meet, you foot the bill. You foot the bill. Absolutely. I
2: appreciate it, man. How you doing today?
1: I'm well, and you?
2: Good, man. Good. Good way, welcome to talk, Tulsa. Thanks, man. It's day 39, I think. I've been counting the days. I think I wrote it on Easter Sunday. Okay. Kanye West and the Sunday you know, choir was out there. Sunday uh-huh. service choir was out there. Easter Sunday, and he wasn't really there, but they had church out Yeah, there. I remember. So yeah. yeah, it was cool, man. It's been fun. It's been fun. Okay. It's been fun.
1: Very good, man. Yeah, man. So tell us the Dominic artist story.
2: I'm a military brat. I was born in San Antonio, Texas. My dad served in the military. I actually took out his draft status of the Vietnam War and enlisted and um, made a career out of it. He loved it. Uh, we loved it. The whole family did. I traveled the world a little bit when I was young, probably from the ages of Zero to eight, uh, so a lot of my upbringing was in the states, but also outside, and so it was real cool. I think in that journey, you get exposed to seeing a lot of different things, which I'm very grateful for, very appreciative for, and coming back to the states was it was a different it was a different mix, it was a different lifestyle like in the military you're like well taken care of and there's a lot of things that you're not necessarily exposed to and so when I came back to the states moving to the South in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, And I think my parents chose Tallahassee because most of my mom's family lived in Orlando. My dad is from a city called Iron City, Georgia. The population is probably like 200. It's 204 every time the family rolls back in. (laughs) But anytime we leave, man, it just goes back down. But anyways, so Tallahassee was that meeting place. They went to Florida University and I, I ended up going there too later down in life. It's the beginning of what I like to think is just like great foundational years and moments where family really instilled a lot of great values. But I think it's where I kind of got my bug in entrepreneurship, to be honest with you. So when my now brothers, but cousins, but brothers, I mean, their children are my nieces and nephews and they came to live with us. And we were in like this three bedroom, uh, two bath apartment, like shotgun style. Um, Really is probably best for collegiates to be living in that space. Long story short, my parents who, you know, made that sacrifice to actually bring in my brothers, Joshua and Jacob, just trying to figure it out as adults, right? Like how do you take care of now four boys in a house, I'm still the youngest, and and work through it. And so I think as you do when you're the baby of the family, you're always eavesdropping, or trying to be nosy, trying to learn some information. So I heard my parents kind of talking next door. I put my ear to the wall and they were talking about finances. And I think in that moment was the seed of uh, See of service and really thinking through and ensuring that they never had to worry about me, not one time. And, and I think that was really the genesis of a lot of things that come after that. But yeah, man, that's definitely the genesis. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so what in your life led you to where you are now? Tell us a little bit about the founding of Act House. Yeah. And what how did that kind of manifest?
2: Yeah, man, I'm a firm believer that life is a, a series of decisions and choices. And really how we begin to um, perceive certain experiences that happen in our life, how we shape our perspective, our outlook on it, who informs that, how we have that informed. For me, a lot of things are informed from the bedrock of my faith and, and using that as a lens and a tool to understand different experiences that happen in the world, right? And how I respond to them, which I think is pretty interesting. And so... For me, I always had a knack to just invent and be an inventor and create. My first company was literally in elementary and middle school where I literally was the candy man. And we would always go, we lived in this apartment complex. We would always cut up through another apartment complex, head to the corner store. And everybody was buying from the K76. Yeah. And you know, that was cool and all. But one thing that was interesting was that we kept going. So I was like, dude, I gotta start selling some candy. And so that was like, my first company, and I mean, I'm talking about I scaled from. I used to have like eight products, like eight SKUs, but in Florida it's hot as hell, right? So like, there's a lot of so I'm selling chocolate, but my customers are complaining. So I'm like, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's get rid of the Snickers, let's get rid of Hershey's, forget all that stuff, and then let's scale it down. So then, airheads, blow pops, and bubble gum were working. So my mom would go to Sam's all the time, and so I would always hitch a ride. She never, she never enjoyed the process of me going to the grocery store with her right? Because I was the kid that was like, hey, can we get this? Or I would joke around and like grab something from uh, the grocery aisle and put it in the bin. You know how it is, man. And so what I didn't realize at the time, man, my mom, who is really a strategic genius, literally was introducing me to entrepreneurship or just innovation at that time and having me think through if I get a box of bubble gum or a box of blow pops and a box of airheads, thinking about that as like inventory without saying the word inventory or thinking about the pricing structure on that box of airheads and how much I'm selling it for without actually talking about pricing models, right? And so that was the genesis, man, of what took place. Fast forward from that, my first startup was in, so I went to Florida for undergrad, went to Florida State for grad school. And in undergrad, I was focused in pretty much a business degree, but focused in healthcare. In grad school, I studied urban planning and international affairs as a joint masters. But in urban planning, I was focused highly on citizen engagement and technology. And I was working for city commissioner at the time. The unfortunate thing was that we had rich questions about what the city wanted, what people wanted, but can never have access to that information. And it was mainly because there was no medium to actually service that information, right? And for the life of me, I was just like, why is all this stuff going on? So I kept diving deeper, kept diving deeper and took my university research and turned it into my first startup. And that was real cool, man. The process of it was uh, real exciting. And, and I had to ask myself a decision. Am I going master thesis? Am I actually gonna like build something? And at that time, civic tech was not that big in the ecosystem, right? Municipalities were just kind of getting hip to everything about what they need to do. Boston was leading the way from a municipal kind of technology standpoint. Um, and I think Denver was doing some, some great things as well. And so in the South, there wasn't many players like in that space. They were excited about it, but decision makers, especially CIOs of municipalities weren't willing to pull the trigger. But I started that company and we called it the town. And pretty much our users were townaholics, right? Like if you're excited about your city, if you're excited about your town, you're a townaholic. So moving forward in that, man, long story short, when we started really working with the city, we realized that they were not going to spend time on an unfunded startup that was young, right? Like it's just, it's, it's very counter to their culture and how they move. And we say, okay, we need to pivot this thing. And so literally, man, we, we started to look at, okay, we're looking at a city. What's a smaller microcosm of a city? And it's a university. And so we created TAU, which is Townaholic U, where literally students could track their college experience, find great events on campus, also find out how great those events were. The problem we were solving on the back end was that you had activity and service fees that were being given to student government associations and pretty much representative senators that students were elected were actually making the decisions on who, what group received funding for their events. How they made those decisions lacked data, right? It was all based on the pictures, all based on like somebody's like membership in their Facebook group. And if you knew that person and if you were, went to one of their events and you saw that it was popping, they probably got some funding. Right. And so what we did was actually create a check in timer. Foursquare was like all the rage at the time. And so what we wanted to do was say, okay, how can you authenticate the check in process? So we built like a geofence around somebody's check in, uh, which actually timed how long they were there. And then we could gamify that on the back end. And so that was real cool, man. I think in that journey, I learned a lot. Three things that i really pulled from that was one from a team formation, you need an architect, you need a creative, you need a techie. Right. Like we, I was more the architect, user experience architect, really kind of crafting our vision strategy and getting into the weeds of the UX. My co-founder at the time, Enrique Morgan, was a pure creative, right? Dope designer, still is to this day, amazing person. And we always had a challenge recruiting like techies. We could always get the best, but then Google was actually focused on their strategy of like recruiting all engineers from the East Coast and actually just paying them like a smidgen more than what people were paying them on the East Coast, but way less than what they were paying on the West Coast. And so, like most of the guys that we recruited were like top notch, but they were just like, okay, am I going to take this thirty percent in equity, right? Or and, sh- and take this risk, or am I going to take the sure bet of eighty five thousand dollars in two thousand ten in California? I'm taking the eighty five, right? Especially just coming out of school. So that was the that was that that moment. So that was real key, and that team model, man, really informed how I started Act House. Really spent a lot of time in running incubators and doing commercial consulting with like Booz Allen Hamilton. I spent a lot of time in Minneapolis with some Fortune 100s. And after that stuff, man, I was just like, I got to get back in the game. I had the itch and I knew I wanted to get back in that space. Uh, but when you had Sally Mae calling you left and right, man, <laughs>
0: you're like,
2: you got to make some cash to, to get her out the way. Listen, listen. yeah, yeah. So She's going to
1: get her money. She's going to get it. That's right. With interest. <laughs>
2: for sure, man.
1: Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about Act House. What, what exactly is it? Where did you get the concept? It's a very unique concept. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, man. So it's interesting, right? I always like to kind of joke around and explain Act House as, um, take MTV's real world TV show and HBO's Silicon Valley TV show, Mm -hmm. put those two things together, subtract the drugs and the alcohol (laughs) and you have the Act House. And that was our first model, man. Like how can you put an architect, a creative, and a techie in a house, create one one house, well one one house, one year, one startup. Like that was the mantra. Okay. That's where we started in 2016, 2017. And we did a partnership with Florida University and also the city of Tallahassee. And the key thing that we were trying to figure out, man, was how can you pretty much reduce the burn rate for our founders? When you think about innovators and people who chase after their dreams, the main things that they're thinking about is one, how much is this gonna cost me? And two, can I cover my cost of living, right? Generally, if your cost of living, which is like rent, utilities, food, if you have credit card debt or whatever, it is, debts, right? Education, Education, right? So those things add up, right? So when you think about how you begin to shape an economy, we don't really have an economy in the US that really from the ground up supports like innovation and somebody taking risk, Right. right? And so we wanted to think about, okay, if we took away someone's like, you know, pain point of paying for housing, if we took away their pain point of paying for utilities, what would they do with that money? And we found out with those innovators, they put that money back into their startups, right? So whether that was equipment cost, right? Whether I needed to buy a laptop or buy software or do all those things. And being that I was already doing a lot of work, I had just, when we started Acthouse, I had just wrote off a Booz Allen. So for me, it was, i loved I loved facilitating, like I know how to take information, make it digestible, and then rope it into the psychology of one's mind to get them to act right and so in that regard, we just pretty much put high power incubation with that, and so we did that, and then we kind of continued forth and then realized, okay, we don't want to have a nonprofit model where you just own the real estate and run the program and you're always asking for money. How can we make this thing scale and so edo david, who was my co-founder. He hopped on board. He came, he literally came in from Israel. We got an interesting founder story, but long story short, I won't even get into the weeds of it. But, you know, we started toying around with this idea of co-living and seeing what was happening in the marketplace and thinking about, okay, how can we make that happen? The funniest thing happened when we said the program was free for three innovators, right? One house. We only had like the highest applications that we have is like 21. Okay. When we said, all right, we're going to do co-living. You're going to have a shared roommate, right? But all these people are architects, creatives, techies. You're going to be in a team. You're going to build a startup. It's going to be great, right? And we said, hey, pay $500. And it pretty much covers your rent, your utilities, like everything and your programming. We had 81 applications. I don't know what the heck happened. I think a lot of people, we just, they just don't believe it's too good to be true, right? It's like, nah, I got to give something in life, right? And I get that, Cool but it it literally changed the game. And so we literally pushed forth. We selected six people, I think in year 2019. And in 2019 to 2020, we were literally focused on our model for a scale from a co-living perspective. Got us up into Techstars, did our thing there. And then also COVID did its thing there in 2020. But what that gave us an opportunity to do was just focus on like what's mission critical and sit back, right? The house was the vehicle to create the access. It's not the programming it makes a difference when you're on the toilet and you can shout to your like teammate and say i figured it out, right? Like or you're in the shower and you're like you got the idea, right? It accelerates the touch points of how innovation works. And so how can we kind of look at that as the the bedrock of what we do and figure that out. So, honestly, man in the quarantine where we had about 54 residents we were going to move in in the fall but decided not to mainly because of it's not like you're trying to kill anybody and we weren't going to take that risk it allowed us to focus on what's mission critical. And that's really how do we focus on being a, a company that's focused on pre-acceleration programs and acceleration programs. And those pre-acceleration programs is pretty much providing a Myers-Briggs for innovators. So that's our ACT assessment, like who's an architect, creative and techie, dominant, subdominant. And when we tested out that team model and a national hackathon with Apple, Thurgood Marshall College Fund, John Deere, Wells Fargo, um, the first year they ran it, only twenty teams. Out of two out of twenty teams, had produced prototypes. The year after that, when we put in the act model, sixteen out of twenty teams produced prototypes. The year after that, nineteen out of twenty, and they said, do "You guys want to come back and do this again with us?" we like, "Absolutely," because I wanted twenty out of twenty. I was just like, "No, I got to get a hundred percent," and we did it. And we were able to take corporate ideas and wrap teams around that and make it happen. But they literally developed prototypes, working prototypes, like code on the iOS platform in three to four days, and so. We knew that team model worked, and we knew when we looked at ecosystems, startups, venture capitalists. The biggest pain point is teams. CB Insights did a report on it, right? What's the top? What's the top reasons why startups fail? The top three reasons was lack of market fit, capital, not the right team. Right? Forget the rest of the seventeen reasons, but those top three uh, matter matter most. And so that really started us on our path. We've always had a vision to potentially be in venture, and but. With- the pandemic kind of happening, it gave us the time to say, let's focus on that, our virtual hackathon. And then literally we met, I came to speak in Tulsa, I think in December, 2019. And that kind of accelerated what I would say was our five, year five, year six for us. And kind of brought it to this moment now where we're looking at, you know, launching Act Tulsa, man, right here in, right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's cool. Yeah.
1: That's wonderful. So these teams, are they already assembled when they come to the house? Or are they built within, is it just
2: a- So back in that model, back in that model, the teams were not a symbol when they came to that. House. Right. So these are it just a, an innovators. architect, an innovator, Absolutely. and a creative. Absolutely. And, right? and
1: they had to figure it out, work on something together, yeah. share ideas, yeah. kind of just
2: mad scientists. Find interest, right? right? So what's the like commonality? What's the interest here? So helping them facilitate through that process to think through, okay, hey, hey, we all have an interest in sustainability. Right. And you have an interest in agriculture and you're studying agribusiness and you like food. And we have actually partnered with a former company that I worked with, their second stage, their company, I'm a coffee shop. Guys are doing over like 2.3 million in revenue or whatever. But it had a, they had a coffee cube. Right. Like, so literally, in your iced latte, it was a coffee cube. So we partnered with them to take the IP and center a team around that and to actually develop and build that out. They were actually working on doing customer discovery and started initial designs of a machine to actually crank out coffee cubes. And the nuances of the machine, they were spot on because a regular ice machine can actually make that happen because of the, well, whatever. Anyways, the, the cool thing about that is they figured it out, right? We took them through the incubation process, developed the creative confidence, given the tools, Teach them how to scale operations, thinking about finances, how to work your business, all that stuff, right? But it was them who spent the time to really think through those commonalities of where they were for their team and Iraq. So it's pretty cool like that.
1: Wow. So give me a uh I have to ask this. You talked about real world in the yeah, yeah, beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you already know where <laughs> I'm going with this, man. Yeah. <laughs> give me a funny or crazy story. Don't, don't take us too far off God, but, man. but, but but. Give me a funny or crazy story about some of the people who've come through the program and something that may have occurred.
2: Yeah, man, in that house model, man, there's a lot of funny stories. There's there's funny stories on both sides, like one, what the founders or the innovators did, but then also two, how I responded to it. So I'm trying to think about which one to give, but I mean, there, there's gonna be practical jokes that are played, right? Like where you think somebody ravaged the house, but they were just playing a practical joke on me or something like that, right? there's, there's crazy times where like one, one founder kind of just lost his mind for a little bit. And we kind of had to rope him back in and have some emotional intelligence conversations. And so those things definitely happen, but they're very minimal. Like it's nothing that's, it's nothing that regular founders or regular innovators don't go through on any given basis in their team. It's just now us giving them the tools to actually work through that. And I think that's cool Like because the disagreements happen. Right, like, but the question is, how do you work through that, and I think that's where we kind of provide a lot of our secret sauce and helping people reach that kind of, hey, you have the team, but what about team cohesion, right, and how's everybody rolling and moving forward?
1: So you went from Act House uh, in Tallahassee, yeah, now you're Act House Tulsa, uh, along with i two e Can you talk a little bit about how that happened? I know you talked some about Black startup weekend a few yeah. years ago when that yeah. coming here that for that. But that was kind of the impetus. But yeah. how did the relationship materialize over the last 18 months or yeah. so? And, you know, how did we get there?
2: Consistency, man. I think it's, it's conversations over time. I, like my formula for growth is like diligence over time equals growth.
1: Okay. Right. I like and,
2: it. and when you focus on that diligence over time, you have enough collision points to really understand someone, really understand the heart, the character, the focus, where they are, where they're going where they've been. And I think, you know, with I2E and, and Acthouse, we got a chance to see a lot of that. What I think really transpired was really the, the collision of like two like visions. So for us, we've always had a, um, a, a focus on equity when it comes to underestimated founders, right? That focus for us really led us to the work that we're doing and also too led to the the diversity within our company. And that's on three levels for us. We look at it from experience, so many kind of like years in the game, Yep, expertise, thinking about your skills and what you bring to the table, and then ethnicity, right? Like what is your cultural upbringing and how does that inform what we do? And so our team, man, from, not from these places, they're from these places, but not actually working in these places. Ito, who's from Israel, Nick, who's from Poland, Kathy, who's a part of our team, who's from Haiti, I can go on, Denise, who's from the Philippines, Noah, who is from Denver, Jordan, who's from Florida. It, it's a very diverse like team. Mm-hmm. And so kind of hearing about I2E and what they wanted to do in the landscape and kind of the recognition of, hey, like this is where we have been. We've been talking about getting our focus in this space in 2019. 2018, I think they started this conversation from a leadership perspective. 2019, they were having those conversations. And then when Malachi and I met, they Malachi had a strong vision of how do we invest in you know black and brown founders, right? And Malachi, you know, grew up in North Tulsa, came from faith background, really just kind of like gets this stuff in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. And when I shared with him our vision, which was always going from Act House into Act Ventures to be able to actually invest in the companies that we that we start up, yep. it just it made sense Tulsa you know, the home of Greenwood, man. I mean, it's there's so much history and legacy there and even history and legacy that we overlook, right? There was a, an interesting article I read about the, the rate of innovation, like the rate of filings of patents, copyrights and trademarks during that time and how black inventors were targeted to be lynched because they were creating. So the God-given talent, like psyche of a person and their DNA to create, right, is what's now targeted to be lynched, right? It wasn't the fact that, not to say there wasn't just because, that wasn't skin that played into a role into that, but just that element of, hey, as in, like, targeted. That's very targeted, right? And so when you look at what happened since that time and then when you look at kind of the trauma of creation, right, or the <laughs> creation trauma that's in Tulsa of, hey, I want to start up, but uh not positive yet, what can happen, this, any other. It's like, all right, cool, we can create some impact here. And so, you know, we decided to do something new. Looking at a six-month accelerator, it's not that as in our former experiences, we haven't had space and time in building up and designing out those programs and leading them. We just also believe with our co-living model, like it makes, that also makes sense too. So it's more so creating um, a smooth user experience for our user of, hey, you know, find out your, your identity as an innovator, architect, creative, and techie. Hop into one of our virtual hackathons or our hackathons, period, and you know, get your beak wet in the ideation space, grow. Okay, cool. You've handled that, you test an idea, you've already brought it to a concept, MVP. Cool. What level of acceleration do you need? And so to come in to come in with I2E and do a fifty-fifty JBA on on a partnership and really build Actosa out, but then also too on the back end, really begin to build out a venture fund that actually invests. Um, in black and brown led startups, that's huge. That's big. It's huge. Yeah. And so in that regard, I've I've always I've always and, and actually I not this isn't my quote. Uh, one of the founders of Make School had talked about this, which was what he what he oftentimes looks at is the um start and scale points from generation to generation. Like how do you measure success? And I have to look at one, where was my family? Where did my parents and my One of my parents passed off the baton to my brothers and I. And now where are my nieces and nephews? And also too, where do I need to take it for the next generation, right? And so when I look at my family, then I look at the broader society of of America. Then I look at the microcosm of the African-American culture. Okay, where we were once cut off in this area, can we now gain access and go and grow and own as well? right? Which is critical. And so for us, I mean, that just wasn't that, you know, that was something that was very real at the table. And also for them, that was very real at the table. And so I think that was exciting, man. I mean, it's been good to kind of walk hand in hand and learn from each other. In a lot of ways, we do great at incubation. We just know how to help founders grow, man. And they know how to fund them. And so in that respects to put those two powers together, I think it it leads to something that's pretty magical. Absolutely. Yeah, man.
1: So is this is ActHouse industry agnostic? Are you looking for any founder and any type of business? Are you looking for SaaS companies or
2: yeah. yeah, I can talk about Actosa from that standpoint. So for us at Actosa, you have to look at what our founders creating on the ground. I think before you can claim where you're going to stake um, flag in what industry to focus in, and right now when we kind of look at the landscape, it's it's highly tech enabled. It's a high focus on there's food, there's CPG, there's a whole range. And so right now it's, it's no focus on the industry. But what we're looking for is those founders that are willing, and that, that, can, that are looking to have enterprise thinking or that have enterprise thinking about what they're creating. They're not focused on creating a, a fantastic sole proprietorship. But if they have that right now, how do they actually, if they, how, if they want to actually scale and grow it, how can we actually help them get there? And so I, I, I would say like, it's definitely industry agnostic. I have my biases about certain industries, but that's just me. I got to deject those. But yeah, Actosa is definitely industry agnostic for so right now.
1: Let's talk about some of the talking points within Actosa. Yeah. All right? In terms of the 70K and yeah. all the, the makeup of oh, the yeah, agreement. yeah, 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 man. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let, let's let our <clears throat> listeners here. This is a wonderful opportunity for someone who's looking to build and grow their uh, business here in
2: Tulsa. Yeah, man. So $70,000 investment. We created an evergreen fund. Uh, which is 0% interest, 0% equity, and, and no recourse, right? Wait, say that again. Yeah, so let's let's talk about, it. let's break yeah, down yeah. what no recourse means for people. Lovely. It means that if we invest 70,000 in you, and if you actually fail, right, being that you went after your milestones 100%, not that you took $70,000 and just pissed it away, but you actually legitimately failed in your company, nobody's coming after you, right? The 0% interest and the 0% equity, that's a focus of, us not making any cream on, on top of that at all, right? The 70,000 that's provided to that founder, we wanted to create a model that's evergreen, right? And the reality is if as a founder, no matter what color you are, but just as a founder, if you're not passing the torch back to other founders that came after you in the same pipeline that you did, what are you doing, right? And it's is, it's is pretty much an alumni model, right? So if they hit a certain mark, $250,000, $200,000 in rev, um, it will activate that 70K to be paid back. And we'll, those terms we'll actually kind of share in detail. But in essence, man, that's, that's pretty much it. It's pretty basic. It's pretty straightforward. We actually ran a, a cool commercial because everybody, oh, that's, that's kind of too good to be true. What's the catch? I was like, okay, cool. Let's have some fun. Let's actually make a commercial like a used car salesman and, and just run it. And so Jordan and I had a good time. Jordan's our creative producer at the Act House. We just had a good time, kind of creating that and making it happen, and so man, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: yeah, you guys did a great job on that commercial. Thanks, man. And, and to think that the that their seventy k is non dilutive, you know, mm-hmm. that they're not taking any equity from the business yeah. or anything. And I credit
2: I credit Malachi to that, man. Like yeah. Malachi at I two E, he he said he said something, and it made a lot of sense. He said the reality is most early stage founders receive kind of piss poor evaluations in their first investment, yep. Yep. right? So if we're talking about raising the equity of black and brown founders, mm-hmm. why why focus on like the industry's gonna give that valuation no matter what. Exactly. Right. So why not give them a fighting
1: chance? Exactly. By, yeah, yeah. Right.
2: So get to get to product, get to, you know, revenue. Right. Start growing and make it happen. Then when you go to the table, when you talk to VCs, right. it's a different conversation. Absolutely. Right? Like it's a different conversation when I, I have a sheet of paper and a napkin yeah. that says, Hey, I got a great idea. Well, just depends on your location as well, right. But it's different there than it is if I have like fifty customers in my pipeline, right, or fifty renewable customers every month, mm-hmm. right mrr of like twenty twenty five thousand dollars a month, yep, just on a minimal number of customers right. right that's That's a different conversation, much different. And so positioning our founders to actually be in in that winning seat, yeah, is highly important if we're ever going to see those types of exits within those companies in order for then that liquidity event to happen to then be able to spread the wealth back in. Yep. It's, it's interesting. A lot of people actually do not know this, but I think it was McKinsey who actually produced this report. Don't remember the name of it, but they did a study on pretty much like cultures and people and the rate who give, right? And what they showed is that African-Americans actually outpace as in like the quantity- Yeah, most groups. Right, yep. in most groups and how they actually give back into their communities, yep. right? And so when you think about that, as far as, hey, we're focusing on our piece of the puzzle, but if we do our piece of the puzzle well, it has so many long-term and spinoff effects of what can happen when you see those innovators scale and grow their company and, and have that event where there's some type of liquidity that takes place um, in order to put money back into the community. It Because that's embedded in the psyche of the culture. Uh, so I'm actually kind of excited to see what happens ten years from now. Yep. Um, and you're actually
1: talking about what happened during Black Wall Street. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's the the, the dollar was regenerative. Exactly.
1: You know, it, exactly. it it literally recycled. You know, some people say 19 times. Some people say more. Yeah. But that that dollar was locked in the community for sure, and it was able to create a uh, residual generational effect. Absolutely. For the individuals. Absolutely. Only for it to be stolen away, which is a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But yeah. But the point is that all of the ingredients were there Mm -hmm. for this to be a long term generational movement of this community. Absolutely. And for you guys to be kind of modeling that by infusing. Basically, it's a seventy thousand dollar shot in the arm to this founder to be able to reduce that barrier of entry. Absolutely. So that they can get the idea out, get it into into the ethos, right? Absolutely, and then take it from there, from concept to reality, and from reality to your stores, yeah, consider, or wherever.
2: Considered as your vaccination of your family and friend round. Absolutely, that's good. That's the I like key that. thing, man. It's it's really it's strategic. Like it's, it's really, necessary. It's necessary. It's yeah. necessary. Strategic, and again, I believe I strongly believe in giving credit where credit is due, man. And so I got to. I gotta tip my hat to Malachi on that idea. Malachi uh, Blankenship, yeah, absolutely, man, and of how that how that took place yeah. for sure. Yeah, know?
1: he was yeah. one of our guests on the show too, so we're we are a, a, a huge partner with good uh, stuff, man.
2: With Malachi, that's my boy.
1: All right, so let's talk about this. Uh, yeah, man, let's Dominic dive in.
2: The man. Oh shoot!
1: Yeah, I'm coming for you. Let's go. Uh, so, ladies, uh, oh, shoot, ladies, he's here in Tulsa, now. watch out, watch out, and, watch out, uh, slow down, <laughs> slow down, stay on the startups, stay on the startups.
2: <laughs> So let's
1: talk about being a bachelor.
2: I don't know if I want to define myself as that. In, um.
1: in, in in Tulsa, well, a non-married man. We'll say that. that if we, We're going to take titles away. We'll say a non-married man in, in Tulsa. And moving from Tallahassee, which maybe not, it's not Miami. It's not San Francisco. It's not some of these other places. What would you say the scene is like here in terms of, just assimilation and an opportunity, community, community. There you go. Let's talk about
2: it. You're hilarious, man. No, it's, Tulsa is a great city, I think. And I'm going to be very selective with my words here because I'm talking I, about I you Tulsa. Dancing. I hear the dancing. I'm talking going about around. Tulsa as a community. <laughs> this is day 39 for me. Day 39. No, but I, I, th- I think, it. I think one thing I, I said this to someone today, I said, surprisingly, right? Tulsa has just a lot of, it's teeming with activity, right? Like from the events, from the community and, and everybody, there's a, everybody in Tulsa has this thread of authenticity. Like, I mean, a true thread. I'm like from, I'm from the South. Like I think our people are pretty authentic. There's also another side of our people where our God bless you may mean something may else. Something right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or, yeah. oh, that's so, that's so sweet, yeah. right? Bless like, your heart. Bless your heart, yeah, right? Yeah, it, yeah. it may mean something else. <laughs> and so, but in Tulsa, there's this like level of authenticity where you think that, okay, hey, they're just treating me nice because of where I'm at right now. But the reality is it's been consistent since we've been flying back and forth. Now that we're here, it's a very, it's, it's, it's entering it, and it's very unique to Tulsa. And I think that's real cool. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Honestly, man, I've been so kind of hands down or heads down into work and enjoying it that I really haven't gotten a chance to get out as much as much and and check out the scene. I did get a chance to like travel around a little bit, like the the outskirts of Tulsa, just see like the landscape. I'm into the outdoors, man. So like anytime I can kind of get out, cruise around, see what's going on, it's it's all gravy. But Tulsa as a city, man, it, it's pretty hip. So. I but again that bachelor word, I don't just call me an innovator and keep it moving.
1: Okay. All right. <laughs> he you dance through that, fly through us. Michael a Jackson storm. was my
2: favorite, favorite artist back in the day. Okay, I love it. I love it. I had the moonwalk out of that. So
1: what are your motivations? What what drives you, man? You come with this baritone voice and very uh easy listening what's the word, vocabulary. Yeah. And you're able to connect with people in such a way. What, what's your motivation? What drives you as an individual and then as a leader?
2: Yeah, well, credit to, the, to my parents and the most high on that for sure. I think for me personally, the, my duty in life is genuinely to provide a return on investment on every word of encouragement, edification, just moment of compliment or celebration that anybody has ever had and, and provided to me because you, you can't buy that right? Like when it speaks life into you or encourages you, that's not something you can just purchase. Yeah. Invaluable. And, and, and so for me, it's like, okay, if I, if all these things have been said about me in good times, bad times of my life, then, then what's the fruit I'm bearing at the end? And so I've seen remnants of, you know, you get a little peak of that apple kind of coming out of that branch. It's not fully developed. So I've seen peaks of that. And so I'm just really focused on providing that return man i think that's a that's a real pursuit and then another pursuit i would say personally man is is to be present like double down on present in the world that we live in especially you talk startups tech stuff like that you get so ingrained in everything that's going on you kind of lose your uh, contextual feel for things and so for me it's it's been highly focused on being present and i i never wanted to be a guy that was so busy everything that I was doing that I didn't think about my family or my friends. And so making sure I'm intentional about creating space for that or designing my life where that happens naturally, um, I think is key and critical. And, and so that drives me. And I'm an inventor, man. I just, I love to create. And so I always look at different mediums of expression to understand how I do that, right? And my, one of my mentors, he he has this acronym for the word great, and it's gaining a return on every ability and talent that God has given you. And so if I can do that in my life, I'm happy. I can I can move forward. I'm highly focused on the problems I'm after, because I think that's critical. And I think you got to give yourself some some window on that. And I don't know if it's a time thing, because the reality is timing really kind of takes a lot in life, like the timing of, you know, Malachi and I connecting in 2019, right, and then the consistency of those conversations, and then you add in a layer of COVID nineteen, and then a layer of shakeups that happened in the black community of losing Ahmad Aubrey and and George Floyd, and then the fact that everybody was sitting still in the earth to actually see it, right, like you were home remote, right, and so I I think I I don't take those moments. Like for granted. And they stick with me. No matter how fast or and I'm moving throughout the day, I'm thinking about those things that kind of fuel me, man. And so as long as I can live in purpose and and create impact and make profit. I I love making profit. Yeah. Yeah, I told you I used to flip gum, man. Yeah. I was making two hundred dollars a week selling that candy. But if I can combine purpose and profit and and not and not the profit, not profit for the sake of just having profit. Right but to sustain the mission of yeah. what you're doing. Yep. Because I think that's key and critical. And so for me, man, those things, those things drive me. I, at the end of the day, Pinocchio returned to his creator at the end of the movie. I know at the end of the day, I'm returning to mine. Yeah. And I, I need to hear job well done. Yeah. Yeah. I got to hear it. I love it. If I don't hear it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. I love that. Yeah, man. I love that. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. Oh, we're coming to the end here, 2030. Yeah. Let's talk about it. What do you see for Act House? Is that for Dominic? Is that 10 years from now? Just about nine.
2: Hmm. Shoot, man. Let's prophesy to the earth. Yeah. 2030. Act house. we pro by that time. Okay. Chairman of the Okay. I'm probably gonna okay. learn something new. Yeah. I try to kids. Okay. And stuff like that. That's a that's a that's a two way street thing, in my humble opinion. It takes two choices to be at that altar. But if that happens But you're speaking,
1: this you're creating your
2: future. For sure. Baruch Hashem. Hopefully I'll be married with <laughs> I don't know, little whippersnappers running around. Okay, let's see what else. I I think we would have made a dent, a dent the gap of and the gap of access, and and the gap of disparity when it comes to black and brown innovators. Yeah, and if we haven't, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Yeah, and so, like I told our team, I said in in seven to eight years if this is our main conversation, let's just shut down. Right. Period. Yeah. Like wrap it up. But I think those things are what I see. I, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I at the end of it all, I'm an inventor and I was talking to, I was talking to a good counselor of mine out West. And for me, I'm just inventing and, and helping people and creating new stuff and having a good time. So to get to that place where I know I'm just walking in a lab to create and everything that I've built is actually bearing fruit. Yeah, life is good. Man, um, that's good. I don't. I don't know what else is happening in twenty thirty. Okay, I don't know. That's a lot, though. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a yeah. Lot. I mean, well, I would have would have known four languages by that time, if not five.
1: Okay, what ones do you want know now? So I
2: I speak Hebrew, right? I'm learning Arabic. Okay, Spanish and French will be after that, but right now I'm just present in Arabic. Okay, and then I might pick up Mandarin. Okay, I don't. But I kind of want to learn one of those tribal languages, like. In Africa? Yeah. I might learn like Twi. Torsa? Yeah, or Tui. Okay. Yeah, like, um, this is a Ghanaian sister I was seeing like a long time ago. Okay. And she knew Tui. Shout out to Ghana. Yeah, shout out to Ghana. Yeah. <laughs> but I could not pick, I, I yeah. could pick it up a little bit. Yeah. And when I was learning, she was like, you better not learn this faster than me. Right. And so I have a knack for it, man. It's a blessing. Okay. And so, yeah, hopefully languages for sure. That will happen. I don't know, man. I'm just gonna be expressing myself through creative mediums. 2030s, right. that's a long time. It's hopefully here I'm, it'll be hopefully here before you know it. Hopefully I'm living. Yeah. I stay present, man. So like I'm 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 fighting the day to get tomorrow. Yeah. I'm just trying to I hear you. stay present in every breath. Absolutely. We'll see what takes place, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I love unpacking. Let's just let's continue to unpack.
1: The startup scene here in Tulsa, hasn't it been remarkable? Have you ever seen this amount of support? in a startup scene uh, of all the places you've been and I'm over of, here
2: I'm over here when should I just drop everything that I'm doing and just be an entrepreneur I'm telling you listen and, man. and 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 that would be then that would make my that would probably make my third startup okay. if I just killed this today
1: yeah
2: and started something new tomorrow so then that would make me real uh real attractive yeah. at the at the uh, at the of the investors for sure yep oh you failed three times it's great,
1: right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great, right?
2: That's best to you now, yeah, man. It, it's interesting, you know. Tulsa is a, all the stakeholders are on board, right, to take Tulsa forward. Yep. If you are living in the city, I think you like from Tulsa, got to take advantage of everything that's that's present here. Yeah, despite. I don't know how you may feel about it. You just have to take advantage of the moment, and I think that's critical. Additionally, I think for people who are in larger cities to come to a medium-sized city that has a lot of activity—I don't say like in New York, but the activity is present. Yes, it's not a—it's electric. It's a, yeah, it's and it's it's pretty fiery. Yeah. I think you gotta you gotta look at the cost of living, brother. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just apples and oranges, man. Count them up. Yeah, and if you if you're if you're living and you don't have enough apples and oranges to eat at the end of the day, yeah, then you need to look at changing a situation. Right, and so I think that's cool. I would say one thing that was I was very happy about, like in Tallahassee, we have a huge collegiate scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like sixty thousand students walking around at any given time,
1: right?
2: In Tulsa, and and, it's, and that's Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. We have collegiates. But our young professional scene is not as like fast. Okay. Like they haven't So they get the degree and they
1: move other places. For sure, right? Yeah. So
2: we've always been trying to figure out this town and gown relationship. Yeah. Plenty of ideas, plenty of ideas have been provided to actually solve it. I think it's just the leaders have to just make the critical and the right decisions. Yeah. Right. I think in Tulsa, where you guys don't have the biggest collegiate scene. Right. You guys have a huge young professional scene. Absolutely. And it's and it's really, it's really refreshing to see. Yeah. I think one thing I experienced in Tallahassee was always being sought after for information
0: mm-hmm.
2: like as in show me this that like you're always pouring out yep right and i i strongly believe that you got to have you know mentors that pour into you peers that you begin to sharpen mm-hmm. right and then also two people that you pour into yep right to create that that, that loop of sustainability and so i think that's what's kind of shaping up here in Tulsa where you have a lot of um people that are in your space of experience that are willing to try something new and create. And, and I, right now, I don't know what city is actually experiencing that. It kind of reminds me of Durham, North Carolina in like 2016, 2017, Durham had like a a reformation that was taking place Mm -hmm. and really led to the kind of startup hub that it is now. And honestly, I think it gets, Atlanta gets, and it's getting a lot of credit right now. Um, But Durham is really, I mean, Durham's a spot.
1: Really? Yeah, man. Okay.
2: Like what they're doing at American Underground, American Tobacco, Mm -hmm. some amazing stuff that's happening in those spaces. Okay. So I think that's the kind of energy that I'm kind of feeling here in Tulsa. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Nice. It's pretty cool. Pretty kinetic.
1: Nice. Well, I want to thank you for your time. This yeah, has man. been wonderful. We've been waiting a long time for this. We had a book back in February, and I remember now. I, now we're here in May. Yeah, you're I was actually like, moved in. And, yeah, I
2: was like, let me get this deal done first, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. And then let's let's get this ink dry. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. Gotta, you got to do it after the ink is dry.
1: After this dry.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. I told somebody the other day. I said, yeah, just send me just send me the paper. You know, I write with a ballpoint pen. Right. So it's no gel. Yeah. It's going to dry gonna a little dry bit faster. Fast. Absolutely. Right. You got to yeah. get the deal done, man. Well,
1: you want the good deals to drive fast, yeah, that exactly. one never to drive, right? <laughs> right. But we are so glad to have you guys here in town, you and Jordan. And uh, we're excited to see what type of work is going to come. And, and the, the I should say the product that's going to come from the yeah, work man. that you're doing yeah. here in Tulsa. You're necessary. And mm-hmm. so that's the best place to be, the best position to be in. With that said, why don't you close us out with a little bit of Hebrew, right? Or, uh, <laughs> Or uh, Arabic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm, oh, I'm coming kidding. around the corner. You, man, I'll, I'll you'll never get, see me coming. You know,
2: it was funny. Bosh, Mike Bosh, man, his wife, I think it's Israeli. Yeah. I think Argentinian is Israeli. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, I guess Bosh had heard it. I spoke Hebrew or whatever like that. So, I think all of us were at dinner. and He just, like, put me on the spot. And his wife started speaking, and his wife's mom was there. So, we just all started having this conversation in Hebrew. Yeah. He's like, all right, no, shut up, I'm done, I'm done, No, I, I, I can't. He just wanted to test if yeah, you really. He, he, he wanted to test yeah, if I really do. That was do. a test. So, <laughs> so, the thing is, y'all have Bosch back on the show, and he'll he'll confer. I don't want to show out a little bit. But.
1: You can't tell us goodbye.
2: Lahitroot, uh, which is like, see you later. All right. It's the most simple, and honestly, anybody who doesn't speak Hebrew could say that. Yeah. So I didn't prove anything. Okay. But lahitroot is like the like the the greeting for goodbye. People say shalom too for like. Like, hello, yeah. goodbye. Like, it's like a passing thing. Gotcha. Um, but bahas lachal okay. is like congratulations or like good luck and stuff. So, okay. yeah, man. All yeah. right. yeah. Shukran. Shukran. <laughs> yes, that air, Indeed, man. Indeed. All right. Appreciate you air.
0: Thanks a lot, man.
2: You bet, bro. Yep.
0: Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Be Atento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. That is Apple, that is Spotify, that is Google, anywhere. Make sure to subscribe and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow Atento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Atento.